Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Friendswood. Uh, it is good to be in God's house this morning. He's given us tremendous weather. I don't know if you've noticed lately, uh, but welcome those of you who are joining us online. Uh, again, if you're thinking, man, the pastor got shorter, uh, that is because uh, Pastor David and our team are up in Vancouver uh, and Spoiler alert, they let Scott into Canada. Watch out. Uh, he's all gospel all the time. And so I can't wait to hear uh, the different things uh, that go on there. Uh, but if, you've, if you're late to the game or, or maybe you haven't been uh, in a while, we're in a series uh, walking through 1 Samuel. Uh, and so it's been a journey as we've seen uh, Israel, nation of Israel, come out of the time of the judges uh, and in, into this transition into, hey, they're going to have uh, a physical king. Uh, and as I was reading, uh, one of the things that kept popping in my mind is I thought about, hey, what is, where are we at? What, what is the context uh, of chapter 11 uh, through 13? Uh, and this is what kept popping in my mind. Uh, and so this is not anybody we know, unless you know them. I've just found them on the internet. Uh, but if you don't know what this is, this is a wedding, right? And so if you've been to a wedding, you know that that's an exciting thing, right? Like everybody in this picture is excited. They're happy for this new couple. They're starting a new life. Uh, they probably got a lot of things on their gift registry. They're very excited. What you don't see, look at the faces of the bride and groom. What I imagine they're not thinking is, well, who's going to do the dishes? Anybody? No, they're not thinking that. Uh, even looking at him, is, is he thinking, hey, I've got furniture, she's got furniture, what's going to happen to my furniture? Am I going to have to donate it to the church? You know, um, hypothetically, when, when you move in, two different people's things uh, into one. No, there's none of that. And look at their friends. None of them are like, you know... Uh, he was pretty shady a year ago. I, I hope they do well. Like nobody's doing that because at a wedding, uh, you've got family, you've got friends, you've got good food. There's flowers everywhere. There's optimism and joy in the air, right? Like they're starting this new thing and the past is the past. And now the, the one plus one equals one that works in, in, a, in a wedding, not in math class. So don't take that there. Uh, but everything is great. They're looking to the future, uh, and that's where we are with the nation of Israel. Like, they've, they've rejected God as king. If you remember uh, a few chapters ago, they said, no, all our friends, all our enemies, they have kings, and so we want a king. And we want a king that's going to go out and fight for us, uh, even though they didn't realize God was already doing that. Like, he was already their king. He was already going before them uh, and fighting the battles. And what we're going to see is just because you get what you want doesn't mean you get what you want, right? Like, if you read uh, Romans 1, it, it looks like if God's giving you everything you ask for, that might be a sign of his judgment, uh, not his blessing. And so they have this new king Things are looking up. He's tall, he's dark, he's handsome. Uh, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, I feel like he must have felt like when we did, we used to do a Honduras mission trip. Uh, and again, we had this uh, student named Thomas Scythe, and he was one of my tallest friends. And I, was, I thought they were going to make him king of Honduras because everybody was so short compared to him. And so they got this Saul guy uh, that, that looks the part, and he's king. Uh, and so things 
things are looking up, they're going to go great. And so let's pick it up. If you've got your Bibles, you need it. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 11, uh, our opinions and our jokes are not great, but God's Word is. Uh, it's living and active. So you need this every week. Uh, so turn to 1 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to pick it up right there in verse 1. Uh, so they, they've, Saul has been made king. They said, long live the king. They might have sang some songs. Uh, they're excited. Everybody goes home. And this is some time later. Then Nahash, uh, the Ammonite, went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. You probably won't find that on Google Maps. If you look at an old map, you'll find it by the Jordan River. And all the men of, of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, on this condition, I will make a treaty with you that I gouge out all your right eyes uh, and thus bring disgrace upon all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days. <laughs> I mean, I would ask for more, but <laughs> give us seven days respite that we may send messengers throughout the whole territory of Israel. Then if no one, if there's no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. Then the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, and they reported the matter into the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. So you've got the nation, now they've got a new king, and something happens. There's an enemy uh, group, the Ammonites, they encampus, like they, they surround a city, Jabesh Gilead, and they say, hey, surrender to us, uh, and we'll poke out your right eyes instead of surrender to us or. Like, this was a bad deal. Uh, and you may be thinking, you're right. If their right eye goes, then if they're on the church softball team, depth perception is no longer there. I can't be in the outfield. It'd be a weird thing. Uh, that might have been a concern. But also, uh, they wouldn't have been able to be in military service because the shield would normally cover the left eye and you would look with your right eye with your slingshot or your, your arrows or your sword. Uh, and so... But it didn't look like he's interested in making disabled vets as much as he is about like pouring disgrace upon Israel. Didn't like Israel. And so they're like, hey, give us some time. And if no one can save us, uh, you do the eye poke thing. I don't know why that was a thing. Uh, but he said he was so confident. He said, that's fine. Go ask for help and see what happens. And so we don't have time to read it, but word reaches Saul. And we see in verses 6 and 7, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul. He takes the ox that he had. He was out in the field. He, he sacrifices those, cuts them up, sends them the pieces to all of Israel and says, hey, we've got our brothers and sisters in trouble. If you don't show up, this is what's going to happen to your oxen. And so God assembles uh, Israel, 330,000 troops. And they roll up, and they, the messenger tells Jabesh Gilead, hey, by the time tomorrow, like lunch, before the sun gets hot, you're going to have salvation. Uh, and, and so God takes this guy who was hiding in the luggage when they said, hey, Saul's going to be king, and now he's the commander of 330,000 troops. And he, and he splits them into three companies, and he's going to get victory. Kind of looks, again, like in Judges when they were in trouble. Uh, and, and God's going to bring about victory. And Gideon, he would split up into three groups, like God is using Saul in this way. Let's pick it up uh, in verse 11. And the next day, Saul put the people into three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning and morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. 
And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. So Saul rose up with his troops and it's, it's a complete victory. Uh, if you watched the Texas OU game yesterday, that's what this looks like. Where's Randy? Oh man, he's missing it. Somebody tell him later how it connects to scripture. That was good. Uh, look at verse 12 uh, or 13 here. But Paul said, not a man shall be put to death this day for today, look who he gives credit to, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And so this almost seems like more of a religious ceremony than a political one, but they they had this king, and now it looks like God is using him, uh, and it looks like he did, and brought about victory. And now the guy is saying, hey, the victory is the Lord's. Everything seems to be going well. And we often judge God's favor by how circumstances turn out in the short term, don't we? Like, like we've rebelled against God. We wanted our own king. Now we have it. And he started out. He's 1-0. This is great. I can't tell you how many Dallas Cowboys seasons started off 1-0. and And we had high hopes. Uh, and the Lord had other plans uh, for the last 25 years, really. Uh, but often, we disobey. And when we don't see any consequences, initially, we just keep going, right? We think because we don't see the consequences that there, there aren't any. And Israel thinks that, hey, we got this Saul. He's winning. He's giving credit to the Lord. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, and we don't have time to read it, but if you read chapter 12 on your own, uh, Samuel makes his farewell speech. And he, he, he's not going away as the prophet, but he's going away as the main leader. He's like, Here, here's your king, and you rebelled. But God's grace, if you follow the king and follow God, you're going to be fine. If you rebel against God and rebel against the king, it's not going to go so well. And so let's see. Let's see what happens in chapter 13. Look at verse 1. And Saul lived uh, for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash in the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. And Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all, the, all of Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines, and the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. So verse 1, it's a difficult verse to translate, but it, it's basically saying, hey, Saul was crowned king here, but there's been some years past. So much so that he's got a son that's old enough to be a commander of troops. And even though you may have read before and you look at Samuel and he had defeated the Philistines and, and sent them out, uh, by this time they're back 
and they're, they're harassing Israel. They're taking land and they're taking cities that are not theirs and they're putting these garrisons uh, in place. And so Saul is there. Jonathan, and his son, has some troops and Jonathan decides, hey, that's the enemy. Let's go take them. Uh, and he does and defeats the garrison. It was a little thing, but he still, it was a, it was a small victory, but a victory nonetheless, which kind of ticks off the, the Philistines, uh, but, but they're celebrating. And when they celebrate, look who gets the credit. Does Jonathan get the credit? No. Does the Lord get the credit for bringing about salvation? No. Uh, Saul does. He gives himself credit. And even if Israel knew, hey, I know where the press release has come from, uh, it was strange that just a couple chapters earlier, he was, he was giving credit to the Lord. And be careful what you wish for. Like, so they, they roll up on the Philistines, and the Philistines are not afraid of all that smoke, right? Like, they, they show up with 30,000 chariots, a bunch of troops, like the sand of the seashore, and that language is specific. I'm like, that's what, if you remember... God promising Abraham back in Genesis, like, this is what Israel is supposed to look like. This is what Israel looked like a couple chapters ago. If you remember, everything seems to be uh, getting reversed on them. And who gets the credit for the victories in your lives? Like, that says a lot about your heart, who gets the credit. And if you want to know where, where is a people and a nation going to go, look at their leaders. Because as the leaders go, so go the people. And so we see kind of a shift uh, in Saul, uh, and we find him strangely taking credit for a small win uh, when two chapters earlier, the big one that he actually led, he said, no, that, that was God who did that. Uh, so let's pick it up in verse 6. See what happens. Uh, when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes uh, and in rocks, and in tombs, that couldn't have been fun, uh, and in cisterns. And some of the Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he waited the seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Just his luck, right? Uh, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, when I saw the people were scattering from me and that you didn't come within the days appointed, Oh, and the Philistines had mustered at Mitchmash. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I forced myself uh, to, and offered the burnt offering. And so we find Saul. Uh, this seems like an identical situation to Judges chapter 6. Like the people are hard-pressed. There's an enemy occupying force. They're scared. They're hiding in rocks. What are we going to do? And Saul's there. He's got the army coming to him, and they're waiting. Samuel said, I'll be there in seven days. Wait for me seven days. And Saul knows he needs to wait on the prophet of God because God's going to speak through Samuel to know what we need to do. Do we need to retreat? Do we need to go in the battle? What are we going to do? And the heat starts to get turned up on Saul. 
Like he's starting to feel the pressure. Uh, he started off well, and now he's in a pickle. He's got a large army he's facing, and he needs the Lord's support. And the people start to scatter because Samuel's not there. And he gets worried. Uh, and when he gets impatient, he, he caves. And he says, I know I'm not supposed to, even though legally, like it was the priest who does the sacrifices, not the king. And, and he said, well, this is an emergency. I'm sure God will understand, right? Uh, and so he makes the offering. And who's standing there right when he gets done? Samuel. Like, has that ever happened to anybody else? Like you do something stupid or you do something you know is wrong uh, and mom is like right there or that teacher. Uh, like so a couple weeks ago, we were, it was a bad day uh, and I don't know how homework goes in your house, uh, but in my house there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, uh, sometimes late into the night and it had been a day uh, and Shannon had already gone to get ready for bed and, and Finley was getting ready and we're going to tuck her in a little bit and I was like, it's been a bad day, and I know, I know we've got some bluebell left over. Uh, and I know we've already had dinner, probably already had dessert, but uh, it's a bad day, right? I deserve this. So I, I pull it out, and there's not enough to put in a bowl, at least by my calculation, so I'm just going to eat it out of the bucket. And so I sit down at the table. No one's around. All the kids are upstairs. Shannon's away. It's fine. Uh, and two scoops in, Shannon opens the door, comes like right in line of sight, and she looks, and she just does this, uh, and she, she keeps walking like busted, uh, and that's where, that's where Saul is. Like as soon as he gets done doing what he knew was wrong, yeah, Samuel, hey, what's up, buddy? How we doing? You look good, right? Uh, it, it seems like Saul is more moved by circumstances and religious like practice rather than obeying God. Like, and this shouldn't shock us. Like, God in the text kind of gave us some foreshadowing of that. Like, do you remember how Saul was found to be king? Like, he was, he was searching for some donkeys that they owned, lost them, and couldn't find them. And that's where Samuel meets him. And you look at all the patriarchs, you look at even the kings of that day, a lot of times a common metaphor was a shepherd. You had a lot of shepherds going on. Uh, and it looks like Saul is not a good shepherd. Like, if he can't take care of his donkeys, how is he going to take care of Israel? Uh, and so he was facing immense pressure in this situation. Like, we can relate. I don't want to make light of that. Like, the heat was on. Uh, it was hard. He, the people are looking to him, and he's like, where's Samuel? Wh what's going on? And maybe he waited like six and a half days, maybe six and five-eighths days, uh, and, and Samuel's not there. And in that moment, like, he caves. Uh, and, and, and he had 600 men left, like, we're going to find out. Which, that's not a lot when you compare it to 330,000 that he did have before. But if you know judges, it's still twice as many as Gideon had that God brought victory through. Uh, everything was reversing on him. Now the Philistines were the numerous one. Now they're the ones with the raiding parties, and nobody can stop them. Like, have you ever been in a spot where you knew what you were supposed to do and you knew what God was going to do, what he promised to do, but you became impatient and then you, you took it into your own hands? And you knew, like, if I had just waited, man, God would have worked that out, but I, I manipulated the situation, I did it on my own, and now I'm sitting in the consequences. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, 
take a single guy or a single girl, uh, they know God. If they know God has not called them to singleness, they're like looking and they're going on dates and they're doing the thing, but it's been a while, right? And, and so they know, okay, I know God has somebody for me, uh, but uh, I'm not finding anybody uh, and, and it's lonely. And they think, okay, I don't like this loneliness that much. And I know maybe there's not Mr. Right, but he's Mr. Right now. And maybe God will, uh, I know he doesn't go to church now, but we'll get married and then he will. Uh, and that's the plan. And, and, and in that moment, they make a trade and they go, I, I know God doesn't want me to be with this person, but I'm tired of being lonely. Uh, and they go, okay. Uh, and they end up just trading these problems uh, for these, which are usually harder and more lasting, like they last longer. And they look back and, and you would say, hey, it's one thing to feel alone. It's another thing to be married and feel alone. And it's a bad trade. And, and that's what Saul does here. He, he waited and he's like, I don't want the people to leave, but I don't see another way out. I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to do it and just see uh, if, if God will bless. And then Samuel shows up and he confronts him with his sin. And do you see what Saul does? This is a pattern that begins. Uh, do you see what Saul does when he's confronted with his sin? Uh, he starts blaming everybody else for his sin. He's, did you see it? He said, hey, Samuel, the people are fleeing. Look at him. There's Joe right now. He's running. Stop it. Stop it, Joe. Come back, right? Uh, they're fleeing. And then he points to Samuel and he says, hey, bro, uh, check your watch. Like you were supposed to be here like an hour ago. Uh, and then he's like, oh, by the way, did I not tell you, there's a Philistine army right there. He's blaming everybody but himself. And when you read Genesis, you see that began even before Saul, where Adam messes up and he blames everybody. Oh, it's the serpent. Oh, it's the, the woman. It's Eve. And then he's like, oh, wait, it's the Eve that you gave me, God. Like he points to everybody. We love to blame everybody else for our faults, uh, right? And then he says, I said to myself, and he, I, don't, I don't know what... Samuel's facial expression is at this moment, but he's like, Samuel, I said to myself, uh, we're about to go into battle and I've not sought the Lord's favor. Uh, and so my plan was I'm going to disobey God and then I'm going to get his favor. Like, does that seem like a, a good plan to anybody? Like uh, for my parents in the room, students, this is for free. Uh, I want to let you know uh, on a plan. Uh, parents, think about your student asking you uh, for extra video game time, or they want to spend the night at a friend's house, they want to go to this birthday party, uh, and your student, they're very earnest, like they really want this. this is gonna, is, Daddy's going to make me so happy if you will let me go. Mom, please let me go. Uh, and they're just in the middle of rebellion, like they're not doing their chores. Uh, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not doing well in school. Uh, does it cross your mind, parents, uh, to think, you know what? If they would just sass me one more time, I'm going to let them have extra video games. You know what? You know what? If my kid would just roll their eyes at me, they're going to go spend the night at someone's house. This is going to rain blessing on them. No, that's a terrible plan, by the way. Like when your kids are disobedient, you're not giving them good gifts if you're a good parent, right? I've had to tell my kids that before. Like I'd be a bad dad if I rewarded rebellion. And this is Saul's plan. And what we see is sacrifice is never a replacement for obedience. It's not. Uh, and so 
before we, we laugh at our kids too much, how many of us, we blow it and then we go, oh man, I blew it. Um, I'm going to go to church two Sundays in a row. Lord, bless less. Uh, as if that's a thing. Uh, again, like if you've been following Christ for a while, that, that should be normal. Like there's a reason your 17-year-old doesn't go to the bathroom by themselves and you're like, good job. You did it. You did it, right? And so we try to play this game with God and we're like, God, I'll do these things uh, or I'll give some money. Here you go, God. Here's some money. Now we're okay. When the reality is God owns everything. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your your exchange. That's more like a business agreement than repentance and a relationship, isn't it? And so Saul sees it that way. He thinks, well, I need this sacrifice, uh, and I know I'm not supposed to do it, but we need the sacrifice, so I'm going to do it. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a bad trade. Let's see how bad the trade is. Uh, verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord. You have not kept uh, or the Lord your God, uh, in which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. And Samuel rose uh, and went up from Gilgal, and the rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army, where they were at Gilgal, uh, to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. So Saul makes, he thinks it's a good decision. Uh, even though it was hard, he's like, well, in this moment, I just got to do it. Uh, and here's the consequences. You, you've got a bunch of Israelites that are already hiding in caves and tombs. Some of them have fled the country. They don't have a lot of swords, by the way. If you keep reading, the Philistines wouldn't allow them to have blacksmiths. So if you wanted your, your uh, spear or sickle or your, your plow sharpened, you had to go to the Philistines and they would sharpen it for you. So it looks like Saul and Jonathan and maybe a couple others have swords. Uh, the Philistines were roaming around Israel in raiding parties with nobody to stop them. But what's worst is now you see Samuel get up and leave and go the different direction. He's lost God's guidance. And Samuel lays on, I hope you saw it, like some staggering consequences. Like he says, your kingdom will not continue. It would have. God would have established your line forever, but he says now, no. Uh, and, and this is going to affect Saul. It's going to affect his kids. And it's going to affect everybody. Everybody to come is affected by this decision that Saul makes. And sin always costs and affects more than you think. Like it does, especially if you're a leader. So my, my leader's in the room. Like our decisions matter. Because sometimes we lie to ourselves, don't we? Like, oh, this is only hurting me. Uh, I didn't affect anybody else. Uh, and it, it looks like it affects a lot of people more than he realizes. And there are situations where you and I have no idea the consequences of what we think is a little sin that maybe nobody knows about. Uh, maybe nobody knows what, what you're saying in your relationships or what you say when no one's around or what you're looking at when you know you shouldn't. And you're like, that's no big deal. I don't see any consequences and nobody's getting hurt. But, but it looks like Saul said that and it looks like it was not good. And so 
I think the text is talking, it's talking to me. Uh, by the way, we, we preach to ourselves before we preach to you, so uh, this was a, a hard week. <laughs> uh, who are you when the heat's turned up? Like, when the pressure's on, whether it's at work or, or school uh, or your home with your kids, when you're put in a situation where you know there's a big decision and you know what God wants and you know something's pulling you a different way, like, wh- what do you do? So here's a question. Just have a couple questions for you. Like, are you rebelling? Look at your life. Are you rebelling from God in an area of your life? Like where God says, I want you to go this way, and you are sprinting as fast as you can in the other way. And maybe you think there's not any consequences, Matt. Like it's not a big deal. But just because you don't see the consequences doesn't mean they're not there. And, and doesn't mean just because in the short term things are working out that it's going to keep going. Or maybe you're in rebellion and you've justified it by saying it's not hurting anybody but me. And I would think God is telling us to repent. Like, you don't have to stay there. Like, not just, hey, I'm sorry I got caught if you've been caught. Uh, if in God's mercy you've been caught, it's actually His mercy. Uh, but there's a difference between confessing and repentance, right? Like, just saying I'm sorry is different from I'm sorry, and I want to go this direction. And secondly, think about the last time you got busted, uh, and this is everybody in the room. What was your response when you were confronted with sin? Like, how do you respond, how do I respond when we're confronted by our own sin? I mean, we, we all kind of giggled at Saul. He wanted to blame everybody else, but what do you and I do? Like, do we... Do we blame it on other people? Do we blame it on, oh, I just had a stressful day. It's a situation. Uh, do we blame God? Oh, God, you gave me, you gave me these kids. Uh, you gave me this job. Uh, I'll tell you, God hit me. Uh, this was a, a couple years ago. Uh, we were running, I don't know if you know this, but we ran uh, a university called Parker University in our own home uh, during this time called COVID. Uh, and we had four people enroll. Uh, they were all on scholarship. Uh, and so they're in our house. We're trying to do uh, schoolwork, and uh, almost all of them got kicked out of school uh, by the president uh, of the university. And uh, so we're going, and we're, we're trying to get grades in, and, and all of them are doing their thing. They're doing this online thing that was strange. And you do your homework, you turn it in, you get a grade, right? You do your homework, you turn it in, you do your work, uh, and you get grades. And so I'm being told, we're being told, hey, everything's good. Turning my stuff in. I've got good grades. So what happens? You get more video game time. You get uh, freedoms. You get to have fun. We're going to, why don't we, why don't we pop open a Dr. Pepper with dinner? Oh, it's special. We're having fun. Well, turns out there's this thing called Skyward, um, and, and you, can, you can log on and, and see what the actual grades are and, and what's actually happening. And, and one of mine, I won't say who they were, uh, was not actually uh, turning things in. <laughs> it's really smart, but was it like doing what they needed to do? Uh, and I went on Skyward and found out, and so I confronted them, and I was like, what, what's going on? Like, this is weird. Like, you're doing the work. Why are you not turning it in? And they stared at me. And so I thought, as any good dad does, like, oh, maybe he didn't hear me. Uh, He or she. Maybe he or she didn't hear me. Uh, And so just to be fair, I got three boys and one one girl. And so I said it again with a slight volume bump. And I said, why? 
uh, have you not turned your stuff in? And they proceeded to stare at me. And so I thought maybe they want a staring contest. So I sit down and I just stare and I'm thinking, okay, we can just stare. I'll, I'll wait. Uh, and, and my patience ran out. Uh, and what started out as, as just a conversation, hey, and I love you, just tell me what's going on. Like, if you were there, I'd be embarrassed. Like, I lost it. I, I went nuts yelling at my kid. <laughs> so much so that I had to leave the room. I just had to walk away. And so I go, uh, and it was one of those... Um, God moments where he just kind of gives you a nice little uh, tap across the cheek, maybe, uh, or the heart, and, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm wrong, and, and so I had to go back, and uh, I said, hey, like, you didn't cause this. Like, yes, we can, we're going to take the, the homework and the grades, and we're going to put them over here. That did not cause me to sin. Like, that was me, and like, I was wrong. And I shouldn't have done that. And I'm sorry. And I, and I had to ask forgiveness. Like it, in that moment, I, I could have blamed anybody else. Uh, and my flesh probably wanted to. Well, if you would just do this. But, but the situation didn't cause my anger. The situation revealed it, that that was in my heart, right? And so what do you do when you're confronted with sin? Where do you go? Uh, and lastly, the gospel says you don't have to stay there if you're in a bad place. Like if you're stuck and you're broken and your relationships are broken and you're not repentant, like you don't have to stay there. The gospel says there's grace for you. Like God loves you in spite of your sins. Like not some future cleaned up you, perfected you. He loves you now. And so you don't have to hide your sin because there's grace for that. And you can confess your need uh, and you can get healing. Sacrifice is never a replacement for obedience. And so as, uh, as the band comes, uh, we're going to have a time of response. This is what we do. We, we look at God's word and we say, what do, you, what do you have for us? And then the goal is, okay, where there's truth in God's word that doesn't line up with my life or my life doesn't line up with it, I'm going to change my life to line up with his word instead of twisting God's word to make my sin okay. And so the challenge is big today. And so where are you rebelling and where... Who are you blaming when, when you're confronted? So you're going to get a chance uh, to pray up here or you can pray where you're at and, and you're going to be tempted to, well, I don't want to pray where I'm at or I especially don't want to go up here because if I go up here, people will think I'm a sinner. <laughs> uh, and that train left the station a long time ago. <laughs> like when you read Romans 3, all of us, all of us are broken. Like what's the point in pretending everything's okay when it's not? If you're hurting and you're not, there's help here. If your marriage is hurting, and like, why pretend? There's grace and there's healing. And so I'm going to pray for us and then let's just see what God does.